Hello and welcome to the Ben Cotton Podcast, a brief encouragement for your Wednesday morning. I'm Ben Cotton and this is episode 27. So I preached about uh, or through the entire book of Jonah on Sunday. It's a short book. Um, I think it's four chapters. And uh, there's something I wanted to talk about that I didn't get to talk about then. The the big idea, let's review Jonah first. I'm sure people have heard the story before. Um, but the point of Jonah, or the big idea of that story, is that Jonah couldn't manage to love his enemies. That's what it's about. God sends him to Nineveh, an enormous Assyrian city. These Assyrians are wicked people, especially wicked to um, the Israeli people. And Jonah did not want to go and bring God's word to his enemies. and couldn't manage to love them. He wanted to receive the mercy of God. We see examples of that. Um, he certainly called on the mercy of God himself, but he was not willing for his enemies to receive mercy. He would rather die, actually, than to see his enemies forgiven. He says, I just want to die. And he wants to die because he's watching his enemies forgiven and receive the mercy of God. Of course, Jesus did exactly the opposite. Jesus died for his enemies. We were his enemies, and he made us his friends. He reconciled us to God and made us his friends. And so, likewise, we're then called to follow Jesus into that same exact calling, specifically to preach repentance to the world, right? And so, so that they would be reconciled to God, that they would repent, and God would have mercy on them, and they'd be reconciled to God the same way we were. And we're called maybe, I would say, especially in some sense to do this to our enemies, to go to our enemies, to love them enough to bring the gospel to them, the good news, that they would repent and be reconciled to God. So we're right here all in the middle of this story in Jonah. This is what I think Jesus means when he says, love your enemies. He doesn't just mean feel good vibes about your enemies. Specifically, we love our enemies the way Jesus did. And the way Jesus loved his enemies was he died for them to reconcile them to the Father. So what I didn't get to talk about Sunday is how do you do this? Um, because it really isn't easy. Loving your enemies or loving someone you hate is an enormous feat. It's very difficult. Why? Because you don't like them. Because they're your enemy. By definition, the charge to love your enemy is by definition a difficult one. So that's what I want to talk about um, in this morning's podcast. So maybe you don't think you hate anybody. So we should start there. Um, maybe you think you love everyone. I don't think that's possible for a human being to love everyone, but maybe that's what you think about yourself. And so, and so, so maybe the word hate is too strong for you, um, I'm sh- but I'm sure there are people that you have a serious dislike for. Maybe it's people that don't love everyone. I don't know what um, particular weakness or wickedness in other people turns you off the most, but there's certainly someone that you have a serious dislike for. And so, so, so if you object to the word hate, that's fine. We can quibble about that later, but that's, that's not really the point here. The point here is, who, who are the people that you have a serious dislike for? Now, they may be very dislikable people, okay? Um, certainly in the story of Jonah, the Assyrians were incredibly dislikable people. They had plenty of things to not like. Uh, it, it wasn't wrong, in other words, for Jonah or anyone to see them as dislikable people. 
God himself didn't like them. That's why God was sending Jonah to rebuke them because God was going to destroy them. Why? Because he was unhappy with them. They were Their wickedness had gotten beyond the point that he could stand and he was going to wipe them out. So this idea that, which is really my first point, loving someone doesn't require them to earn it with being, by being good people. If they could earn your favor by being great, friendly, kind people, wonderful people, then you wouldn't actually need to learn to love them, and Jesus wouldn't have to tell you to love your enemies. So there's a reason why this is difficult. So you have to let go, right off the bat, you have to let go of your need to have other people earn your love towards them. It isn't how Jesus loves, and it isn't how we are called to love. Jesus loved his enemies while we were yet still his enemies, still sinners against him. He died for us. He did not wait for us to have a revelation that we were sinners, and he's amazing, and we should love him. We didn't love him first. He loved us first, right? He loves his enemies. That's what it means. And so you got to be willing to let go of this need to have other people earn your love towards them, to be good people, or to, or to search their character and find some positive quality that you can name. There are some people that are in—it's it's very difficult. I mean, let's be honest. It's very difficult to find a quality in them that's good enough to earn your love towards them. And this is not how Jesus has called us to love. Earned, easy love is an inferior kind of love. It's cheap. And that's not how Jesus loved. Jesus loved with a very costly love. It cost him his life. And this is what we're called to follow him into. So you got to drop that requirement that other people have to earn it, either by uh, repenting to you or becoming better people or, or maybe you finding something, no matter how obscure and small it may be, that, that is lovable about them, that is not a requirement for your love. And I'm so glad it's not a requirement for Jesus' love for me. Uh, Second thing is loving your enemy is not the same as excusing your enemy. We are called to forgive, for sure. And the need to, but the need to forgive, right, implies that an injustice has been done. They did something that needs to be forgiven. Otherwise, why do you need even to do it, right? Why, need, why do you need to forgive if they haven't done anything wrong? But I find that a lot of people, when you say the word forgiveness, they immediately go to this idea of I have to somehow diminish what the person did. I have to minimize or be in denial about what the person did, either to me or to others, which goes along with my first point, which is their goodness is not a requirement or a prerequisite for loving them. Just like in forgiveness, the fact that you need to forgive implies that they did something terrible that needs to be forgiven. So don't go through this weird, false, kind of fake exercise where you say things like, well, they didn't really mean it, or they didn't know what they were doing, or they didn't know any better, or it wasn't so bad. I mean, I kind of did some stuff too. Maybe you did do some stuff, but that doesn't make what they did any less evil or any less sinful or any less unjust. Forgiveness is not about excusing them. Forgiveness is about letting go. 
is about specifically letting go of your right to have justice or to enact justice yourself and giving that right over to God where it belongs. So you don't say, well, that person didn't do anything bad. What you do say is they did something terrible. And it was wrong, it was sinful, it was wicked, it was evil. But I'm going to let go of my need, my right, to see justice done. I'm going to give that to God and let Him handle the justice. And I'm going to let go of that and move on with my life. That is forgiveness. It's not excusing. It's a different thing. Number three, it's the pride that tells you that you would never do that to someone. Often we hold judgments, I think, against people by saying something like, well, I would never do such a terrible thing to someone. I would never do that. But of course you might. (laughs) Under certain circumstances, given the right circumstances, maybe a different background, different opportunities, you might have done exactly the same thing. That wickedness, that proclivity towards doing wrong things, doing injustice to people, acting in a selfish manner, being rude, being angry, that's in all of us. And what humility does is it doesn't count yourself more important than you are. And it recognizes that what's broken in you is also the thing that's broken in other people. And we never look at other people and say, I would never do that. Because when we do that, we make judgments about them, and that's prideful, and pride comes before a fall. I'm sure people that do horrible things, at one point or another in their life, they thought they would never do such a thing. It's the grace of God that keeps us from burning our lives down. It's not some special, holy inner quality in us that others don't have. So not thinking yourself more highly than you ought is essential, I believe, to learning to love your enemies. If you can't do that, if you can't be humble enough to recognize that you're not fundamentally, essentially better than that other person, and they are not essentially worse than you are, you both share the same sin nature. If you can't do that, then you'll never be able to love your enemies. And it's part of what went wrong with Jonah. He couldn't imagine God forgiving those people. Number four, loving your enemy doesn't mean welcoming toxicity into your life. As I'm talking, I can imagine you thinking of certain people and how they're just really bad for you. And you're thinking of exceptions to this. And I think that's one big exception. But I want to clarify, it's not really an exception. Some people are toxic to us and should not be welcomed into our lives. I think we can agree with that. Like a drug dealer to a drug addict. If you're a drug addict, you shouldn't be hanging out with your drug dealer. That's a toxic person to you, and you should not. That's not a friend you should be having. An abusive husband to his wife, a sexual predator, maybe a gossip that you know that just wants, every time you're around them, they just won't stop gossiping. On and on and on. We can think of more examples. Perhaps these sort of people need to be confronted, but not necessarily befriended by you. Okay? Paul is a great example. Paul advocated. Disfellowshipping, disfellowshipping, that's a fun word. Paul advocated disfellowshipping such people for the purpose of bringing them to repentance, right? He said, this person's an evildoer. They should not be welcomed into your community. Kick them out. Why? Because that might hopefully bring them to repentance. The disconnection from the body of Christ might be enough to wake them up to their sin and that they might repent and be welcomed back into the community. So even Paul advocated that kind of perspective. That is not a lack of love 
towards your enemies. That's a high standard of holiness in the church. And it's recognizing that some people are toxic. And so the loving thing to do is to rebuke them and send them out and disfellowship them. I think that's true. And there's a lot of people that come through your life that are like that. And it's perfect. It's not unloving to do that. But we need to be careful about how we define those. Those should be rare things. And the goal is still to love your enemy. Your goal is still to bring them to repentance and reconcile them to God. Um, the goal is still the same, but sometimes it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy, and it, it doesn't mean befriending people that are toxic in your life. And lastly, number five, if you have Christ in common, that's enough. It really is. Don't buy into this worldly idea that you need to have a lot in common with people in order to be close to them. It's an, it's an absolute lie. It is a false form of community and friendship, and it's the best the world can offer is compatibility. Compatibility is not a requirement for relationship in the body of Christ. The only thing that is a requirement for true, deep friendship and relationship in the body of Christ is that you have Christ in common. That's a cheap kind of love, saying that you have to have some, you know, same hobbies, same, you like the same music or the same food, or you, know, you both have kids the same age, or, or whatever the, the criteria are. That is not a requirement for deep friendship. In fact, I would say if you've never had the awesome experience of becoming dear friends with someone that you initially at first didn't like, then you're doing it wrong. You haven't quite gotten this truth that all you need is Jesus in order to have a real, eternally fruitful relationship with that person. And we are called to love everybody, including the people that we don't think we're particularly compatible with. So I hope you're willing today to just begin moving towards people that you know you're called to love, whether they're people that just grit you the wrong way, or they're people that have hurt you, or maybe there are groups of people that you find yourself prejudiced against and you struggle with, um, just to begin to open your arms and take steps towards them. Just move towards those people. I'm convinced that you'll just take a few steps towards people. Open your arms, that God will lead you um, and take the rest, take you the rest of the way. And you may find that God has actually supplied more community and ministry for you than you first thought. It just might come from your enemies, from places you didn't expect, instead of from the places that you would have picked from the beginning. So I hope you're encouraged. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.